Hi, everybody. Before we begin the show, I just got a couple of announcements before we begin. Number one, you can find me on YouTube with film critic Kyle Gothy. Uh, the channel is called Kyle and Nick on Film. We critique two movies a week. Of course, we do have a Patreon for that channel. Check out the Patreon for some great content, great deals, and an opportunity to pick a movie that we review in a future episode. Also, I want to give an announcement. If you're living around the Minnesota um, or neighboring states, we do have... Uh, Minnesota Comic Book Association Spring Con coming up in May. More details will coming up. Just want to make sure you mark your calendars for May of 2024 that the Spring Con for the Minnesota Comic Book Association, which will be happening in Woodbury, Minnesota. So put that on the calendars. I hopefully will be tabling there. If I'm not tabling there, I definitely will be volunteering. So I'll be there in some capacity. Um, that's pretty much all for it. Enjoy the show with Joel Thingol. All right, today we have Noel Thingol. Yes, and uh, uh, another podcaster. We'll get a little bit more into it later on the show, but Noel knows that it's dedication time. So, Noel, what would you like to dedicate this episode to before we begin? Well, I want to dedicate it to my dad, Joel Thingol, who you had on <laughs> to this month four years ago. It was like, isn't it weird? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about it until he, he shot a message to me. He goes, you know, you got my son on... Almost exactly the date four years ago. This, so, this is the first time my dad guested on a show before I did. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. What's dedicated to Joel? Thing all. Hi, Joel. Yep. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the St. Paul Filmcast with your host, Nick Palatichuk. Each episode, Nick interviews filmmakers and other artists from the Twin Cities area. I'm Carly Palillo, and thanks for listening. And thanks for finding us. Please give us a review and feel free to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And now, lights, camera, action. All right, welcome back to the show. Today we have Noel Thingvall. Um, Noel is another podcaster, not, not to mention a consumer of movies and comic books and all that stuff. But I just want to get out um, your podcast before we begin. Yes. Uh, well, I have two main ones. The main one I'm doing right now is Schumacast, where we're going through all the films of Joel Schumacher. Yeah. And then also Masters of Carpentry, where we had gone through all the films of John Carpenter. And we we finished the main bulk of that, but we're still occasionally going back for bonus episodes because he does a ton of comic books and everything. You think there'll be like a little bit, not a, so much to investigate, just but there's a lot more material there than people think. I would yes. Imagine, especially both directors. Yes. Yeah. John especially has like a ton of unproduced scripts that we still need to dig into. And, right. Know. I just found out about Sh uh, Shadow Company. Yeah. That got rejected. He was supposed to do that uh, yep. after They Live. Yep. And the the Paramount said, no, we're not doing it. Whatever the movie company was. Right. right. They weren't going to do it. Right. And that's like there was like a four year period in his career where he couldn't direct anything because he was busy suing a studio for backing out of a three year contract after only two films. I would assume too. Yeah. yeah, and then that in that period, that's kind of the rise of Joel Schumacher. Yes, so, right um, in the late eighties. Yeah. Like that. So yeah, where people find your shows? Uh, you can find them anywhere. Uh, again, I, I have main websites are schumacast.blogspot.com and masterscarpet.blogspot.com. Schumacast has been entirely uploaded to everywhere: Apple, iTunes. Okay. Uh, Google, YouTube, uh, Masters of Carpentry. I'm actually right in the middle of getting them all uploaded right now. Wonderful. I, eventually, they're, you get to a, where you will run out of stuff. Is there another director? Do, would yeah. you like to investigate? Or? I there's kind of it's up in the air at the moment, but I have a few other projects that I want to I want to get started on right now. We've recorded all of the Joel Schumacher series, but I still uh -huh. have the entirety of the 2000s to edit and release. Okay. Uh, so once I get those done, I'm gonna then pin down what director I want to do. Wonderful, wonderful. And um, just, I mean, you probably mentioned it. It was just because you just picked somebody out of a hat or is this one of your kind of your favorite directors? Or well, yeah, John Carpenter, it was, yeah, that was easy because all my, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm 42. We grew up with John Carpenter, you know? Yeah. And well, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was me and a friend. We just loved John Carpenter. Like, let's do all the John Carpenter. Joel yeah. Schumacher was interesting because I had only seen like four or five of his movies but I was interested because he had so many credits that weren't Batman, but everyone just talks about Batman. 
Right. Time to kill. Yeah, time to kill. Lost Boys, Flatliners, Falling Down, was Phone millimeter? Booth. Eight millimeter. Wow, that was a super yeah. dark movie. And he had this just really interesting career where he would bounce genres. He was a yeah. screen. I mean, people forget he wrote Car Wash. He wrote the screenplay for The Wiz. Yeah. You know? He's definitely somebody yeah. that wasn't like Carpenter outside of getting into the. He was right. always part. Joe Schoenberg is always part of the cogs of the well, film industry yes it? and no he was a fashion designer in new york for right. a th- throughout the entire 60s he was well that would make yeah. sense now now she spoiled how fashion is yeah. a prominent thing in his movie but he was also a big drug addict and <laughs> literally like leaving new york and leaving that career was right. a big part of him letting go of that addiction and moving to la and he, that yeah. he had already uh pitched an idea for a film called that would become sparkle uh, and then, uh, yeah, then that script led to Car Wash. Car Wash led to The Wiz. He started to get some TV movie directing gigs out of it. He was working as a costume designer, primarily for Woody Allen during the 70s, mm-hmm. who really encouraged him to start writing screenplays and, and to become a director. I would probably would be, if I did solely on one director, yeah. I'd probably do Sam Fuller. Fuller would be interesting, yeah. Yeah, because he was um, copyright editor. He came to movies just because yeah. his scripts were being... Um, made into movies and he didn't like what they were doing so he became his own director but he was a journalist a yellow journalist he did tabloid journalism and you can see that through his movies where the first page has to be something enticing well, and Fuller yeah. would be interesting because he was also yeah. a novelist too. Because right. you, so you get the novels, you right. get the prose aspect of it too. Look at the books, look at the films, mm-hmm. look at how he mastered both formats. Like other directors that I've done outside of podcasting, just because I like doing director series, Kurosawa, Robert Aldrich. Uh, 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 Leone. Would Sergio you ever be Leone? considered to do like a book? I've thought about it. It's just uh, yeah. a big thing about putting in all that work and then being able to sell it. <laughs> it's but a I lot. mean, right. but I have thought about it, like especially yeah. with the Joel Schumacher thing. Like I don't know many other people are going to write a book on Joel Schumacher, but it would be really cool to take what I already know and then just do interviews and dig into a little, a little more research. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm just reading, I just finished it up uh, that, it's um, on Hulu. It's called Capote versus the Swans. So yes. I'm reading the book, Capote's Women, um, Truma Capote, who kind of came into a network of arist- kind of very wealthy, rich women. Mm-hmm. But all those women weren't born wealthy. They just married into it. Yeah. So they were kind of outsiders as well, but they kind of befriended him. Yeah. And then he betrayed them by was going to write this book called Answered Prayers. And then yeah. he published a copy of it in Esquire and they really went after him hard. Yeah. And he himself never really recovered. He stopped writing. Yeah. And became a late show. It was almost did the Bill Murray thing where he just became a party guy, frat yeah. house for just hosting, be on late night Johnny Carson all the time and stuff yeah. like that. So be interesting to, um, just for that, like a book, but you turned into all the stuff that you kind of figured out as yeah, well. Yeah. And it would be interesting to just kind of go film by film. But one of the reasons I like doing the director series and it's very important to me to do it all in chronological order is because you're not only seeing all these films, but you're you're learning the story of the filmmaker's career. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, you know, the rise, the struggles, the falls. And again, like Joel Schumacher, it was a big rise. And then Batman. And the problem was Batman came out right at the same time Ain't It Cool News became big. Batman and Robin. And yeah, yeah. the whole Joel Schumacher's Batman became the center point of his career reputation. Right. And everything was a struggle after that. But even then, he kept going on. He kept making interesting movies. And then throughout the 2000s, he actually started focusing on mentorship, teaching uh, teaching students at USC, uh, would would mentor and supervise young people who were doing ad campaigns and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I would think... Um, Especially for Joel, he's somebody who likes to work understanding the audience a little mm-hmm. bit better, what they want to do. And rather than creating my own unique style, obviously, yeah. you can see an aesthetic of Joel Schumacher. Yeah. But um, we were talking before the beginning how you, I don't know if you went to ever went to film theory classes, but. Yep. Um, they I talk, just kind of learned everything on my own. <laughs> I, that is best to do. No, I did too. I consumed, I went to work at a video store for many yeah. years in the late 90s. I came up in yeah. the uh, DVD generation where I just listened to every audio commentary I could. Right, yeah. And um, it's the psychology of the audience, mm-hmm. not the psychology of the characters. We were yeah. talking about that, how we don't want to see Indiana Jones really do archaeology work. We want him to go on an adventure. Yeah, <laughs> Sitting there with a brush and 
see, do with dinosaurs. See, and my argument yeah. would be to do actual archaeology would be a challenge to portray on screen, but if you get the right filmmaker, it can make it compelling. You know, yeah, it's more of a documentary, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, look at how, like, say, Aaron Sorkin made incredible, you know, TV and film drama out of bureaucratic red tape and political mumbo jumbo. Yeah. Aaron would be interesting because yeah. he's so. I like his writing a little bit, but he's so full of himself at yeah. sometimes. <laughs> I have him on mine because I actually just watched the first half of American President before coming here. <laughs> yeah, and there's a bit where he gets a little bit lazy, yeah. a little bit, but he, I, he becomes very repetitive after a while. Yeah. yeah, I did like the whole script of yeah. Molly's Game. I thought that yeah. was really a refreshing, and he outdid himself with Social yeah. Network. I think he got the nerve and the tone yeah. and everything perfect. But, but I think like another good example would be like the film Arrival, where a big cornerstone of that film is the linguistics breakdown that the, the studio wanted to cut out because no one's interested in linguistics breakdown, but you can still dramatically present it in a way that can be compelling to an audience. Right, you can't you know? be boring. Right. right. So you have you have to make it. Why is it important to the characters and how does that tie into their journey and tell a story out of the teaching of it? You know, so you could actually do a really interesting archaeological thing with Indiana Jones. We could probably do. And I. I yeah. I just, yeah. Yeah. Um, we could probably do a double feature of contact and arrival. Yes. <laughs> how would that do? That would work. I like. Well, not everyone loves contact, but I like contact. What's, what is, I mean, what do they think? We're just going to see, is everybody upset because it wasn't the true reveal of an alien at the end? Is that what everybody is upset I, about? I don't know. Yeah. What I love is I think Contact is probably the best modern Quatermass movie. Right. It's, it's, it, it's the beleaguered scientist nobody wants to listen to just doing science. Right. You know? Right. Well, and everybody's like, well, it's also a love story. Well, yeah, every movie is a love story. Oh, yeah. It's a love yeah. story is in it. Well, I, I think that's... This, this is one thing I'd be interested in talking to you about is just yeah. kind of like philosophies of criticism. Because one yeah. thing I really like about you and Kyle's show is you know, there's a lot of YouTube critics who are just very much into hyperbole and absolutes of like, oh, it's either this or it's this or it's amazing or it's terrible. And I like that you guys just kind of take a nice nuance. Let's break it down, kind of see what works, see what doesn't. Yeah. That's the type of criticism I have a lot of respect for. Well, we just finished an episode where we talked about, um, and thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, we just did Action Jackson. Oh, nice! I haven't uh, seen that from yet. 1988. Yeah, which is very. It's not a the greatest action movie yeah. of all time. It's not. Um, it's very discombobulated. Sometimes it thinks it's a comedy. Yeah. Then the action's overdriven. It's directed by uh, uh, Craig Baxley, yep. who was a stunt performer first before he became yeah. a film director, and then became one of the best directors of Stephen King miniseries. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you understand he's learning as he's going being yeah. a director. He was also a second unit director, so yeah. he knows how to be director. But it's just there's a lot of flaws to the movie. And for me watching, I go, understand if you just watch it in a vacuum, it's a bad movie. Mm -hmm. But where would it excel would be if you sold it like a underground film. Yeah. It's a cult classic kind of film. If you present it that way, yeah. people receive it much more than what is given. Understand we talked about with like action heroes. Um, they're focused on their work, right? Oh, yeah. Well, then it, it, we try to, and Howard Super, who does presentations at UCLA, talks about it's one balance or the other. Either you're obsessed with your love and your work mm -hmm. fails, or you're obsessed with your work and your love fails. Yeah. And, and the to balance it out is the story. Yeah. I'm going back to Indiana Jones. He's obsessed with his work and then tries to figure out how to love. Yeah. First. That's always the actual lethal weapons about that too. It's yeah. you dive into your work where your personal life gets yeah. ruined as well. That's kind of how I think that tells me yeah. the ultimate point of it is whether you're doing an action film or not, you still got to tell a story. Right. Yeah. And what is your story about? And it, it's, you know, like you can have the MacGuffin of like the drug deal gone bad or anything like that. And it's no, but what's the character's story about? And it, it, the ones that actually take the time to do that, I'm fine with that. Right. And cliches are fine. Yeah. If you present him in a way that's not lazy, he I always still execute it well. Yeah, yeah. And Action Jackson has a lot of cliches. You know, the this boss is always yelling at him. God damn it, you're ruining yeah. the city, the the budget, and everything. Yeah, and he's not following protocols, arresting people, and that's what we want to see. But his love interest doesn't come into an hour and fifteen minutes in the movie. Where, <laughs> <laughs> where you're like, where? Because she's on the cover. Like, where is she? Yeah. 
and that's kind of hard to sell. It's the wrong selling, right? Right. I think if you sell the action with the you know the boom, the bang, and the boom, and then a little bit of her in the corner, then you get what they're trying to right. do. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of times it's presentation. Yeah. Um, of things, titles, um, and we talked about it with film theory also. Every movie's about uh, being trapped. Mm-hmm. Every every story is about being trapped. You have to make a choice, and what choice are you going to make? Or how to yeah. come out of it, or how do you're going to challenge the power that's entrapping you, or how you're going to take that away from the mm-hmm. person that's trapping you. Every movie can be titled "Trapped," <laughs> and how are you going to get out of it? Um, Wizard of Oz is a definitely good point of being trapped and find your way out of home. Um, so anytime I tell anybody, if I find a movie that's titled Trapped, then you're, yeah, we all know. It. That's every story, right? You know? Yes. Um, yes, I've, I've seen the Kevin Bacon, Charlie's Theron movie Trapped. <laughs> <laughs> he says, like, well, of course, right. Yes. Based on the novel um, 24 Hours, which wasn't called Trapped, but should have been because it was about being trapped. <laughs> But it also goes back to, and I think Kurosawa did it right. He was one of the. Oh, I love um, Kurosawa. You get your action out first, especially for film, then settled in your story, and then come back to your action a little yeah. bit. It's the formula that Lucas and Spielberg and Coppola have been doing for many years. Coppola doesn't deal with it as much, but the new wave, Hollywood new wave, kind of lift from Kurosawa and understand yeah. that you got to get your audience entrapped in a few for a few minutes. And then settle down yeah. to your story. What's first. the hook? Yeah. yeah. You need the hook. And that doesn't yeah. always need to be action, but there needs to be something compelling about it. Something right. that grabs you and makes you want to stick with that story. Um, well, Sam yeah. Fuller kind of did it right. Not, not not using necessarily Kurosawa, but he did it with uh, Naked Kiss, where the beginning movie is just the the prostitute beating the crap out of you, your point of view of like, what did, she, what did you guys do? And she's smacking <laughs> yeah. in all this right in front yeah. of the camera, and then her wig falls off. You're like, whoa. And then from there, you understand where the story comes, but you have to find something at the first page that gets everybody yeah. interested. Well, and that's that's kind of one of my big things as a critic is another thing is people like to compare everything to each other. And it's like, I'm not going to go in watching an Oscar drama and expect a slam bang action movie. I'm not going to go into a slam bang action movie expecting an Oscar drama. Yeah. You have to look at what each film is trying to present as its story. What is it trying to achieve? What type of story is it trying to tell and how well does it succeed at telling that type of story? That's why I can give a four star review to surf ninjas and a four star review to a, uh, a Fellini film, you know, because <laughs> they're both succeeding at doing what they set out to do, you know? Right. It's Super Ninja is not advancing the world of cinema, but it's understanding what its audience is, right? I mean, that gave us Moto Surf. That that advanced the world of cinema. That gave us Kwan Su, dude. That advanced the world of cinema. Okay. (laughs) I think it's a different avenue. Right, exactly. But I mean, it's setting out to be a fun, goofy, colorful adventure movie, you know? Yeah. And then to to judge it on the level of that, like we're seeing that with, like, uh, I loved your guys' episode on Godzilla Minus One. But one of the things that happened when Godzilla Minus One came out is that's when they chose to release the new Godzilla vs. Kong trailer, which is an entirely different tone. And a lot of people are comparing the two, and it's like, but one of the things about Godzilla is you can have a silly, fun movie, and you can have a dark, compelling movie, and do the same thing with that iconography and character. You know, so it's... I think it's kind of... I'm not going to say... People also have to prejudge. Right, right. Yeah. I... Godzilla minus one was the most fun I had in movie theater oh, I loved last it. year. But so was Shin Godzilla. And those are two incredibly different movies too, yeah. you know? You're right. Yeah. And I understand people, I don't think anybody hated Godzilla minus one. I don't think Ooh. they were in a lot. And it's kind of weird for people to say, go see it, go see it. And like, we've, I've seen it. Yeah. No, you haven't seen this kind of way. Of yeah. Yeah. But then, but then they come out with the new legendary film where it's Godzilla versus Kong and everyone's like, but it's silly now. Why are they making it silly? And, and we've like, already seen that. Yeah. Isn't that sequel to the previous? Yeah, yeah. but so what? It's yeah. it's allowed to be silly because look at how many Godzilla movies have been silly. <laughs> right, right. Especially during the 60s. But I, I yeah. this minus one. But minus one, one, yeah. For personally me, and I, I know everybody enjoys. Oh, it's probably be, my favorite Godzilla movie, yeah. Yeah. It's, and um, I'm with Kyle, though, on Love and Hedera, too, the Smog Monster one. Yeah. yeah. I think everybody who loved the franchise, there's not a Batman movie I hate. Really, and I love Batman. There's not a Batman movie I hate, but there's not there's ones I appreciate yeah. more than others. And right, if you yeah. make a Batman movie, it's going to make money. Yeah. If you make a Godzilla movie, it's going to make money. Yeah. Right. That's automatic. Yeah. But how you make it, I understand. Well, I, the 1940s serial version. 
Yeah. That was bad. Did they intentionally make did they come out with the black and white as an anniversary to the original Godzilla? Probably. Okay. I mean, it was already a pretty desaturated movie to begin with, so. Yeah. But uh, I think so. But like in terms of Batman, like, you know, that kind of goes back to Joel Schumacher again, hyperbolic criticism in terms of everyone's like, but it's gay or but it's too silly or but it's such a bad comedy. And it's like, honestly, Joel Schumacher's Batman movies I'm fine with, except for the fact that the writing isn't funny. If yeah, if right. if the dialogue had been humorous and written by a sharp comedy writer, I would be fine with the aesthetic. I would be fine with the homoeroticism. I'd be fine with everything being over the top and cranked up to eleven. But it, they brought in Akiva Goldsman to write comedy, and that's what happens. The beat, yeah, they just it didn't hit the beats of yeah. like of Robin saying "Holy something" the first time he's in costume, which could be a good joke if you yeah. time it right. Yeah, it's all about timing. Yeah. yeah. The problem is then they have Batman react like "What? Huh? Oh." Yeah. <laughs> right. You have to. Yeah. Comedy's hard. Um, but you're right. You have to have some kind of comedy yeah. in your movies. And um, like the Tim Burton movies are also very comedic and funny. They just have a very dark aesthetic. Yeah. You know, like especially Batman Batman uh, Returns, because they got Dan Waters to write it, who's one of my favorite writers. The guy who wrote Heathers and Demolition Man and all that great stuff, who's a great satirist. And I'm like, you give Dan Waters the scene of a bat credit card, he's going to give you a comedy bit. You know? Right, you have to find some way. Well, the, yeah. the old line is, you better put comedy in it or somebody else is going to find it Yeah, when where you don't want it to be. Um, but you have to break it up. Tim Burton gets tone and theme don't have to mix. Right, but Tim yeah. Burton, where he struggles is more narrative. You think so? I think so. Okay. I, I don't think he's a bad at narrative. I think sometimes he can get he can get a little too caught up in aesthetic <laughs> over narrative. Yeah, but he doesn't give it as an exposition dump. I'm That's kind of, true. I, I like that he doesn't worry about exposition dialect. Yeah. You're just going to have to buy in this world, yeah. and you can have to figure it out on your own. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. And I actually like Tim Burton. He He's someone who I haven't... Tim Burton's also someone I'd be interested in doing a project on because there's this interesting thing where people were really big into Tim Burton, and then everyone turned on him. I think Big Fish was it, wasn't it? Yeah, but it's like I, Big Fish was still a fine movie, and a lot of the movies he's made since, like, I actually like his Dumbo. You know, everyone hates his Dumbo. I like his Dumbo. It's fine. <laughs> Right, I don't I think people yeah. are wanting him yeah. to go back to the '80s, and we yeah. just we're not. Which they kind of did with Wednesday. Yeah, but but yeah, Wednesday's been a big hit. But it's like yeah, his movies kind of struggle, even though Tim Burton's just always doing Tim Burton, and yeah, and I, I don't. It, it feels more like audiences' taste changed more than his actual talent and ability changed. That's what I'm trying to get yes. at, right? People evolve and change. Metallica yeah. changed for God's sakes, and you have to. They're not going to make the same things over and over again. Yeah. Um, it's hard to understand. I know mean, people want to go back to what he did in the eighties and it's, but that's the same criticism with the latest Indiana Jones. Yeah. It's not the eighties anymore. People no. It's going to be a different story. I really liked the new Indiana Jones. <laughs> I did too. I loved yeah. it. It was I great. Cause, it. Cause what I loved is it, it felt, it felt like an old person trying to figure out where to go from here. Yeah. You know, and I really liked the story with him and his, his uh, goddaughter. Uh, it was a really good plot. I, lo- I actually relate to time travel. Along. It was a little long, but it was. I was otherwise. I was fine with it. Right. I actually thought he was going to go back during Berlin, like the Last Crusade. Like they're going to go back into the Berlin, but it, it yeah. veered off to what he wanted. Um, it's more of a story about him than yeah. any other ones that we've ever had. Right. Yeah. Whereas I think, like, say, Part Four, Crystal Skull. I think it's they had elements there. They just couldn't figure out how to put them together into a story. Right. The pieces. Yeah. All little vignettes work. Yeah. But as a whole, it's just so it just didn't yeah. feel well and i don't know if you've ever heard about the early darabont script it's like they had it but lucas said no <laughs> yeah there was yeah. a whole battle of wills behind that so yeah but i like the yeah. the late last one right it's an old man i like the inside joke because harrison ford in the late 60s loved he was a hippie and he was yeah. immense in the whole culture of him going out and when they're playing and then the hippies neighbors and he gets mad yeah. at them yeah <laughs> it's the inside joke of because he used to be one of those yeah. hippie people, Harrison Ford. Yeah. But yeah, that's an interesting thing where you have audience expectation for his audience demand where the problem, and, and I, I like a lot of franchises like like you. I've been into comic books for a long time. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a Transformers fan and talk about a franchise that's constantly reinvented itself over the decades, Transformers, right. uh, through comics and TV. And it's 
the problem is the base fans who stick with something always want something that plays to them. But in order for something to sustain itself, you need to appeal to new fans. And so finding that juggle between something that appeals to the old audience and something that appeals to new audiences is an extremely tricky tightrope to walk. Yeah. All right. We have that same conversation with every Star Wars movie after um, Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Um, You just have to, how you maintain new is you have to keep reventing itself and challenging yourself. And something people don't want to hear about. They just wanted to the recycle yeah. the same attitude. Or they always want their own their their old thing. And one my, my very first podcast series I ever did was a show called I Hate Love Remakes because I am a supporter of remakes. So we would take the original, we'd take the remake, we'd compare and contrast, we'd say how else you could do this. I am a fan of remakes and reboots and sequels because I like taking iconography and right. finding different variations on how you can explore it, how you can reinterpret it, recontextualize it. Like we say with Godzilla minus one, they found a new way to do it, you know, while still hearkening back into a past era. And like, again, Transformers, Transformers is rebooted like every three years. And I welcome it because every reboot is going to do something different and something interesting, whether I like it or not, that's fine because they'll do it again later, you know, and Star Wars, you know, I'm fine with Star Wars films. I don't like because I know at some point they'll make ones that I do like, and they make enough ones that I like that I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we get in the conversation of remakes and people, well, the originality is gone. Understand that my favorite movie yeah. of all time is The Maltese Falcon. Yeah. That's the third time doing that movie. Everybody loves The Wizard yeah. of Oz. That's a remake. The original well, yeah. one is a silent version. Well, and yeah. as, you, as you say about every story ultimately being about being trapped, yeah. every story, you can't come up with a new story. It's about how you approach the the story that exists. Yeah. You know, the, what's the your added, approach? Yeah. Kyle likes to yeah. say it too. Like, it's not the story you yeah. tell; it's how you tell it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what I like is, I mean, we got the new uh, Roadhouse coming out. And it looks like you know that's a fun, interesting new way to take that material. We got Spike Lee and Denzel are going to be doing Kurosawa's High and Low. I trust them to find an interesting, clever way to do the material. Okay. For Joel Schumacher, um, we got to Joel Schumacher's Phantom of the Opera. Neither myself nor my I didn't know he did one. He did. He did the Andrew Lloyd Webber music movie with oh, Gerard Butler. Oh, I forgot yeah. he did that yeah. one with Gerard Butler. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's kind of a notorious film where some people love it and some people hate it. A lot of the older fans hate it, but a lot of teenagers who that was their first family opera still hold a lot of love for that movie. And myself and my co-host had never seen it. And also we had never actually seen a Phantom of the Opera movie because we'd always see like a lot of clips. We'd catch a lot of it in osmosis. So my co-host decided to hold off and let that be her first movie. And I went the opposite route and I tracked down as many. I I read the original novel and watched as many. Oh, you read the novel too. Okay. I read the novel and I watched, I want to say like 28 or 29 separate adaptations of it. All these film adaptations, multiple film stage uh, show versions. I watched Phantom of the Opera on ice. I watched the Scottish animated one. <laughs> yeah. So I watched the two universals. Deep, I watched man. her. You, like Kyle, yeah. you go deep. Okay. In the 1930s, it was remade in China as this film called Song at Midnight, which itself has been remade in China like four or five times. So it's I watched as many that of those. These yeah. kernels. It's almost. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. And I did. I love the Gerard yeah. Butler fan of the opera. See, and here's yeah. the thing. We both got to it through these different ways. And we were like, hey, that was a fun movie. Right. What, <laughs> our co-host, our, our, our guest host hated it, but she came in hating it. So What the hell? Um, stories have a little bit of yeah. almost like a kernel. And that's that's what I liked is seeing yeah. all these variations on a theme. I like seeing these retellings and yeah. coming up with how do we, what if we go this way? What if we do this? What yeah. what if we make him romantic? What if we make him scary? What if we make him tragic? What if we make him evil? What if we make him the good and guy? There's all different avenues yeah. you can do with the, Batman. And with the stage and the yeah. opera, it's like all the production design elements are different for each film. So I it not only made me enjoy Phantom of the Opera more to see all the versions of it, but I thought of like five other ways I'd like to see that character done. And Batman is very much the same way. He's an iconography that you can explore in many in a variety of different ways, in a variety of different tones. Right. My like, first Batman was Adam West. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just camp. Yeah. It's fun. It's silly. And, there, and there's nothing wrong yeah. with a campy Batman. No. I, yeah. I've always been a defender of all variations. Yeah. And you can go super grindy. I love that we now got a grunge Batman. I, I love the new Batman movie. The grunge Batman. Yeah, yeah, and what I also like about the Matt Reeves Batman is it's also the first Batman detective movie where he's mostly doing a buddy detective story with Jim Gordon. It's a young Batman who's already established, but he's still trying to figure out what he wants and to be and where he's is, going. You, it's a, yeah. what we've appreciated about 
later, probably maybe a little bit after 92. Yeah. Where it's a city you don't want to be in, man. No. You're pretty much trapped there because you have no way of getting out. I love the nightclub that used to be an industrial manufacturing plant, so it's just yeah. all this machinery drenched in neon. Yeah. Right. And my... What I appreciate about Batman, other than he doesn't really have superpowers and all yeah. that, and they're all psychologically broken, but it's a desolate. It's the complete desolate of Americans' yeah. urban life of people. It's a almost a jungle. Yeah, it's an urban jungle, and there's no everything is broken. Yeah. Even the bat lights broken. Every network of system of operating is broken. Yeah. Um, and then you go super almost police state where he hates to police too. Yeah, well, but yeah. what I also love is that it starts out as he's the angry Batman who wants to just punch crime. But the story is getting him to realize he has resources that he could actually fix this town in other yeah. ways. Oh, that, and I love yeah. that. And, and he, that's great. The, the best thing about Batman is it makes him mad yeah. to ask for help. It yeah. pisses him off. He can't If he can't find the solution himself... Yeah. Or even if Alfred's like, why don't you do it this way? And he gets mad, like, shut yeah. the fuck <laughs> And the way they counterpointed him against the Riddler, who's going in an extreme in an opposite direction, it was really well yeah, done. Yeah, very not like yeah. an iconography Riddler. Yeah. A very, like, almost gritty of a, yeah. a pathetic. Yeah. Yeah. And what I also like is, again, getting into audience expectations is there were people dismissing it up front as like, oh, they're going to do the goth broody Batman. It's like, yeah, they did, but they also had humor and wit to it. There was character and bounce to it. Yeah. You know, I mean, boop, even, boop, boop, boop. yeah, yeah. The, the, the whole bit where the penguin has his legs tied together and is waddling after him. Hey, let me out yeah, of here. Yeah, you know, yeah. great. Great. Um, they had the red bat phone. They had the whole scene of him going up the side of the building as a throwback to the Adam West, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and the classic. They never show it of you don't mess with his ears. Right. Oh, my God. You don't mess with the ears or he's yeah. going to go off. And I love um, the 70s muscle car Batmobile. Yeah. Yeah. That he seen, looks like he made it himself. The ending fits. And yeah. we're, we're taking a little break. We're coming up to a break here. But I watched a movie when I saw it in the theater. I said the. If they do the ending right, they nailed it. Yeah. And he did it perfect where he had an opportunity to get rid of all he's doing yeah. and go after love. When we talked about your action here is consumed with work. Yeah. Is his love life is disaster. He had an opportunity to abandon all the work. Yeah. Maybe go after a relationship with a cat woman. And he said the hell with it. And he started grinding his teeth and going away. And I was like, this is perfect. Yeah. And I love the relationship with Catwoman in that because they're just two people who who their yeah. paths intersect, but they still have their own goals. Yeah, it's very yeah. metaphorical, but it fit perfect. Yeah. That where all of a sudden he realized, oh, the yeah. hell with it, and you could just see him just getting yeah. mad and mad and mad and mad. And, and speaking yeah. of Matt Reeves and franchises, like his Planet of the Apes movies, you know, Planet of the Apes is a franchise that's been kind of done to death, but they still find interesting new ways to do it. You know, where the people who are act, the people are acting like animals. Yeah, where they. Apes are slowly evolving to yeah. be civilized. And they're also good science fiction on top of being exciting yeah. thriller movies. Yeah. You have to pl flip it on yourself. And I think that was the way you have to do with uh, yeah. Planet of the Apes, where the more that the an the humans are losing, the more vicious, ferocious, yeah. and animalistic they're losing all ethnicity, yeah. all identity of what a human being can be, yeah. where the empathy is now becoming where the the yeah. apes are getting it on top of which you also just made it a found an interesting way to make it a performance character piece through the actors having to play the apes and yeah, yeah. so um just to kind of give it a little break especially with my background in film theory it's the psychology of the audience what you want mm -hmm. them to appreciate understand where you can't have a character that's balanced you have to search for the balance I kind of give it away like the character has a search for his authentic self, mm -hmm. whether it's the wrong avenue or the right avenue, what he associates, or he or she associates, the protagonist. Um, Batman's going to abandon all love interests to be Batman, right? That's not the right, maybe the healthy yeah. way to do it. Um, I have I have yeah. a counterpoint to that, but we can wait till after the break. All right. Give it, all right. We'll be right after these messages. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say it. We'll be right after these oh. messages. Do you read books? Do you live by small bodies of water surrounded by trees and other wildlife? Is that geese shit? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you have found a home here at the Brook Reading Podcast. Each week, I read a book while nestled in my small New Jersey apartment and gaze out the window at a brook. Then I jump online, talk about it, ask for your opinions, and bitch about something for approximately five minutes. If you would like to join this madness, Check out the Brook Reading Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or on the Radio Public app. 
Let's step into some animal feces together. Welcome back. And now more with the show. All right, we're back. Okay, for Noel, who actually is very appreciative of all kinds of movies, right? Yeah. I don't think it's very hard to get a bad rating from you. I, well, I depends on the movie. I mean, I just gave two stars to a couple. Um, but it, 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 yeah, it all depends on, the thing is, there, there's a lot of bad movies that I can still enjoy because they at least seem sincere. They're trying. They're trying. And, and that I, energy can win a lot for me. I would, if I did a film class, required film viewing would be roller boogie. Now, oh, yeah. it's not advancing the world of cinema, like Doesn't I'm saying. It's to. not going to win nominations, everything. Yeah. What I want people to understand is it's sold for the psychology audience. People who yeah. love that culture, who understand it, mm-hmm. who want to see dance move and be impressed. Yeah. It worked for you. I mean, the break was a vessel yeah. for it, yeah. right? They understood there's a market of these kids yeah. who love roller skating. Put it into a movie. Put some music yeah. into there. Right? Yeah. I mean, the breaking movies from Canon, you know, are you? Know, they get a lot of jokes because of breaking to Electric Boogaloo. But you watch them; they're actually fun movies. Where it was just, yeah, hey, we got these cool dancers. Let's just wrap a plot around them dancing. Yeah, and it's yeah. fine. And I think a lot of movies, and this sometimes does happen where a movie gets far more appreciative. Yeah. As years go, and yeah. there's movies that get great success immediately that yeah. people kind of, well, there's no, yeah. no reason to retain it. There's nothing yeah. to retain afterwards. Well, and then speaking of, I mean, like, I think advancing cinema is something that's also just kind of hard to parse, too, because how are you advancing cinema? If you're giving someone a childhood favorite film that inspires them, right. you're still advancing it in some way, you right. know? Again, or again, just showing a community who never got to see themselves on film before. Rad with BMX Bikes was a film that community had never seen themselves on film before. And it was a film all about their community. And that advances cinema by giving them representation and something they can identify with. There's so many people yeah. who are a little bit younger than us. Yeah. Who, um, and I, uh, Josh Moraz, who does film editing, he was totally inspired by Dick Tracy. He yeah. thought it was the greatest movie that was yeah. ever made. And I understand it. I yeah. understand. That's the punch of it. And it's not going to win awards. It's not going to be grossly celebrated. But I think people who love movies, there's certain movies that are just... Yeah, celebrated for different things. You and I grew up in a generation of of the thing. We love it. It is celebrated everything. But people who were in the 30s, 40s when that came out hated it. <laughs> it was just one of those yeah. that it's a, it's understand that it was trashed and everything like yeah. that at the time. But now it's one of the most celebrated movies of the 80s. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Here's the thing. So I've seen a lot of films by a lot of filmmakers. I've seen Sayaji Ray movies. I've seen Tartakovsky movies. I've seen a Picha cool movies. I've, oh, yeah. Have you seen a lot of Japanese and I, I, foreign films? I'm big into Japan. I've actually studied Japanese and been to Japan. Um, I've Yeah, I, I have just a huge fascination with a lot of world cinema, high and low. Do you know what my favorite movie is? <laughs> Hackers. Well, that was, yeah. With, and, uh, isn't Angelina Jolie's Angel, first, Angel, first movie? Yeah. Uh, no, no, that was Cyborg 2. Oh, Cyborg 2 was her <laughs> first movie. But she is in Hackers. Yeah. Okay. It, but, and, and the thing is, Hackers is kind of looked at as a silly movie. Was that John Booker? Johnny Lee Miller? Yes, from, that's Yeah, it. from Elementary, Matthew Lillard. That's it, yeah. Uh, Penn yeah. Gillette in a small role. Um, and people kind of laugh at that movie, but that was the first movie to really try to explore not so much the reality of that subculture, but the fantasy of that subculture, of what that fantasy subculture aspired to be. And also was actually very well edited with a clever storyline, good character beats, and the soundtrack is incredible. And people people also accuse it of the hacking isn't realistic. And it's like, well, they couldn't do the realistic stuff because then they would get sued for showing how to actually hack things. Yeah. They did know how to hack things, but they had to create a fantasy element. So I consider Hackers to be the best urban fantasy movie ever made. Well, yeah. As when I worked at a video store, I didn't get why that was constantly being rented out. It's a good hook. Right? It, no, it's no gotten critic, to me. Yeah. No, it was like the critic's darling, right? No. And I, a lot of kids would rent that movie. Yeah. And I, I would work the, I worked the video store from, I would say, like 96 yeah. to 99. Yeah. I worked the video store. And I never got like, what the heck is with hackers? 
I never got it. I understand before that it was sneakers. There were sneakers, but also yeah. even before that, and on my 40th birthday, my friend let me borrow her living room to have a bunch of people over to do a double feature of my two favorite movies. So we did Hackers and my other favorite movie, The Wizard. Oh. The Fred Savage Nintendo Fred Savage movie. was, good. yeah. Yeah. Because again, that was. Oh, the PC. Yeah. Drinking PC. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. No, no, no. Drinking the pee was monsters, uh, little monsters. Oh, now I'm getting my ninety. Yeah. Okay, my little. Th- monsters. This is the Nintendo movie where it's like him and his his autistic I, sorry. brother. I, I'm yeah. sorry, I got those confused. Yeah, him and his yeah. autistic brother run off to to play at a Nintendo <laughs> championship where Super Mario <laughs> right, Brothers. Right, right with the bat. Yeah. God. Yes. And and it is. It's a silly movie, but it's also it's a fun kids adventure. It's well made, and there's also a nice sense of genuine drama to these two children caught in the middle of a divorce. Uh, one of whom is mentally disabled and the other of whom sees that this disabled brother actually has this skill where he can go out and do something, but none of the parents will listen. So they run off on this road trip to go and show what he can do. I was a child of divorce who had a you know, mentally disabled sister and I really related to that movie. And it, it's a very personal movie, not because of the silly Nintendo stuff, but because there's actually a character journey in the middle of it. And I like that. Yeah. And it shows that you can have films that operate on multiple levels. It can be a fun, goofy, pro Nintendo, it's the power glove, it's so bad, you know, that kind of movie, while also being this genuine movie about these existential journey of two brothers on a road trip trying to figure out each other. How many uh, movies do you think you see a week? A week, I probably only see anywhere from three to sometimes seven. Okay. I mean, I have... I have two weekly film nights that I'm a part of where uh, a group of I on, a group of us online, we rotate around who gets to pick a Shutter movie and who gets to pick a Criterion movie. So every week I watch a Shutter movie and a Criterion movie, oh. not always ones that I, I'm picking. So that's nice. And then every other week, one of my friends um, has a, a local group get together for a double feature night. We just did like five years of the history of martial arts movies. <laughs> and right now we're doing Spielberg. So we you guys do, do American Ninja? Yeah. Oh, God, I love it. Oh, that we comic. did all three of the show, oh. Kasugi Ninjas. We did, yeah. I had to get it. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. I had that. I had a friend that had that poster, man. Nice. With the American flag. And that was like, that was, that's like, that's iconic, that poster. See, I'm more Ninja 3 the domination, but. Because <laughs> it's not just ninjas, it's Jazzercising and the Exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I also love that it just opens with a ninja just slaughtering a bunch of rich guys on a golf course. And it's, it's like, yeah, <laughs> it would be hard to. And I tell people it's hard to explain 80s if you didn't live it. Yeah. How extreme everything had to be. Absolutely extreme. Because they figured out they could. They yeah. didn't just didn't learn yet how they should. <laughs> it's not like the beginning of yeah. Axe and Jackson. It's not that you kill the bad guy, or throw him out the window. Yeah. He had to be on fire fire also right right yeah yeah well i mean and it's like you see that yeah. with like the emergence of color well we're gonna make everything color yeah. like i don't know if you've ever seen kurosawa's first color film the Deskaden. no I he just vomits color everywhere it's okay. great i love yeah. it or like when the r rating came out in the 70s and suddenly everyone's like well now we can have sex and violence well, let's, everyone yeah. take your clothes off and say the yeah. f word now right yeah. and yeah. then i think from that we got the action cinema and the slasher films that both just kind of went off in crazy directions before they figured out how to settle you know yeah and, and we're and, kind of getting a little bit back to the gaudy slashers well and bit. we've got the gaudy slashers but yeah. we've also got the witty slashers like i like i like um well this it's a wonderful knife freaky yeah. happy death Where it's day. kind of Those it's, are it's, fun. it's yeah. silly yeah. um what came from france was the like high and, tension oh, yeah. or martyrs or the, the french uh, gore new wave yeah where it was how disgusting can we go before yeah. it's uncomfortable to watch that's the stuff i yeah. don't get into as much yeah climax yeah. kind of was the end of it gaspar Noir's climax was i wouldn't really call that a slasher movie though it's just no. an intense drug movie it's, yeah, there weren't. But I mean, there was martyrs. Movies. There was martyrs. Martyrs was pro- martyrs. That was the pinnacle. And well, yeah. and I, I think the pinnacle to the point where people just didn't want to see it was a Serbian movie. Oh, that was just disgusting to be disgusting. Yeah, yeah, that well, was just yeah. yeah. And, and then, then we got the Human Centipede trilogy, and it's just, I, Human Cent. Yeah, the Human Centipede was just that was a little bit of jokiness yeah. to it. There was a little bit like you got to be kidding me for the first movie. Then yeah. the second and third movie, they were just went all out. And I'm just kind of like I'm I'm glad I live in a world where Human Centipede exists as a weird concept. I don't ever want to see those movies. How did I? I, I just how much drugs do you have to do to think yeah. of the concept? All right, going so anyways, back. Yeah. going back to Batman. <laughs> I, I said the one I the one variant that I would like to see explored more right. is 
I don't think there's enough exploration. And we get this some with, with the animated series, but I think there needs to be more exploration of how Batman grows as he develops a family around him. You know, Robin, Barbara, these other people who come in and not only just become his sidekicks, but become his family. And you start to get this kind of softening of Bruce as there's actually these people who are not only a support structure for him, but for him to be a guardian to and a teacher and a mentor to. And I feel we need more stories that they keep rebooting Batman before he can get to the point where he builds the family around him. And I would like to see a bat bat movie that kind of builds on the family uh, that he builds and yeah. finds for himself. How many, how many people would be surprised that he actually has a son now? Yeah. 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 But but he's had multiple sons uh, just just in terms of like adopted sons, you know, and, and that he was a, a mentor yeah. to. And and I, I would like to see a story that explores that, but we never get a film that goes, series that goes long enough to do that before they explore that. Like I think yeah. Batgirl had the potential to. Well, that's a challenge, isn't yeah. it? Because people, you want an audience expectation, yeah. the psychology of the audience, they want expectation of a Batman. Yeah. Um, and then write that he has to almost yeah. vomit to ask for help and then become right. this network of a family. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always explored. And then you yeah. always kind of get Dick grows up to get a bit of a chip on his shoulder and becomes Nightwing, but they still have this kind of begrudging relationship. Yeah, no matter what Dick can do, yeah. he's always going to be under Batman. Yeah. No matter how great exactly. of a solo career he's going to have. And Barbara's going to have the father figure of both Batman and Commissioner and acts as a bridge between them. You get the other Robins who come in. And I think there's a really good family dynamic you can build there in terms of Batman getting to a point of healing. And that's yeah. actually something I will, I, I absolutely do credit the, the Joel Schumacher Batman films for. He understood Batman as a character because what I love about the first Batman or, or Batman forever is you have a Batman who is willing to reveal his identity to save a circus full of people where he stands up and says, it's me, I'm Batman, but nobody can hear him over the crowd. And Batman and Robin, you do have that softening as, of Batman as uh, Barbara and, and Dick are becoming part of the family, even though he's having this conflict with Dick. What I love is it's a Batman who's no longer thinking about his parents. He's no longer thinking about that brooding reason why he started this. He's now doing it because he has other people to do it with. I, if I wrote The Dark Knight Rises, if I wrote it, after I have a lot come, of problem with Dark Knight Rises, yeah. After you come out of the tunnel, and I don't care about the plot holes. I really don't about how you get back to the city after that. It was I don't care. It would have been fantastic if he would recruit a, a couple of kids from the orphanage, and one of them was Jason Todd, yeah. and then Dick Grayson was the cop, and the other one was a network of yeah. Robins that go around and find out Oh, as yeah, a network you, of you, you know, could play them like that group of kids that Sherlock and the Holmes other one, would always use. One yeah. of them would have been Barbara. Yeah, yeah, and then she gets probably injured, and yeah. you can do the whole network of her getting injured. Yeah, stuff like that. But yeah, you could use a bit of Holmes as Baker Street Irregulars, that group of kids that Holmes would always use on the streets yeah. as sidekicks. But yeah. if you round up a bunch of kids, yeah. and you can have all their introductions that were in their comic book yeah. of that network, and their code names would be different Robins, Robin yeah. One, Robin Two, and they're all communicating. And they all that'd be fun. One around the pep around the city of communicating and helping yeah. Batman get rid of the truck. Perfect. Yeah. Dark Knight. Right, yeah. Dark Knight Rises. That, yeah. Then then becomes I'm not Robin anymore. I want to be called this Nightwing, yeah. and then perfect ending to what we would all cherish. Yeah. I don't. Man, there was a lot of problems with Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, and um, that was more just on a. I don't hate the movie, but just on a construction level, I don't think it. They nailed the themes down, and yeah. Well, you're yeah. you're. You're putting three different stories. They're trying to do too much crammed into one movie. You're doing Dark yeah. Knight Returns. You're doing No Man's Land. And then um, the whole Nightfall with yeah. Bane. Three different stories all into one movie. It, it would yeah. have to be a part two if you really wanted to nestle well, with it. And I think it's two also, part. we're running into that point where people don't want to just let a franchise continue on with a recast elite anymore. Yeah. Like we ran into that with the Spider-Man movie, the, the Amazing Spider-Man movies with Andrew Garfield, where... The first one started as Spider-Man 4, where it was going to be a new director and a new new actor, but it was still going to be yeah, part that four. Was, that was the grunge Spider-Man. Yeah, <laughs> and then that was grungy. the one, and they had set up the lizard, yeah. and they had set up Gwen Stacy in part three, so that's why they were prominently featured in that story. And I'm like, just let it be a part four. You don't have to go back and retell the origin. Yet. Just keep moving forward. And we, yeah. we've seen this with Bond. It's like, well, we can't just recast. We have to have a finale and then fully reboot. And it's like, just, I mean, that's what I like is like the, the Val Kilmer and... and 
Uh, George Clooney Batmans are a reboot, but they are still sequels to the first two movies. You know, they do make reference to those first two movies. You ever going to do your own screenplay? I that's actually kind of what got me into a lot of stuff was back in my teens and 20s. I started collecting screenplays, had ambitions to be a screenwriter, never actually finished any. (laughs) So so had a lot of stuff that I started. You really are a true screenwriter. Yes. Yeah. So while I'm also in that mid 40s existential period where I'm either a critic or a failed critic, and I'm definitely a failed screenwriter. So, <laughs> right. I, I'm. I did a couple of screenplays. Yeah. I'm working on a novel, and I'm doing a short film. So I, I don't really consider me an act. I don't consider me an authentic film critic. That's yeah. not my full time job. But I'm also have my fingers in a lot of other things. I'm also yeah. a podcaster and stuff like that. Because I also and, used to be a much more heavily written critic, and I was actually published in some magazines for a while. That was years ago. And once I started the podcasting, I kind of had a hard time just writing essays about my thoughts because I liked the discussion element. And I liked having my thoughts and other people's thoughts. And we put them all together and see what broader picture we get. Sure. Because I don't like it when it just becomes about you're right, I'm wrong. It's like, okay, this works for me, but it doesn't work for you. Let's break it down and try to figure out why. Right. Um, my favorite movie last year is not going to agree with a lot of other people, right? And my favorite movie, I don't consider, always, my favorite movie is never going to be part what I consider the best movie. Well, of, I say never, that, but then I had that year where my favorite was Everything Everywhere All at Once, and then look what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good movie. That was my favorite movie of last year, too. Yeah. Um, well, that was the year before. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really love Nightmare Alley when that came out two, mm. about two years ago, and that was my favorite movie, and I don't consider that the best movie but that was my favorite movie yeah i loved it i'm more nihilistic i don't want a lot of hope in my movies <laughs> and that's just because i've been coming with grew up in film noirs and stuff like that and batman's number really supposed to be have a happy ending to their movies well that's always why i was kind of bummed like i like batman beyond but i'm also bummed because it's an old lonely bruce who chased the entire family away yeah. and and i'm like oh just let him have like the family still there yeah, i don't know but, I love that's why I loved it. I, I love know. it. You can make a billion dollars selling people hope. I know. But um, the real craft of it challenge yourself from not having a little bit of hope. At but the still, end. the end of the latest Indiana Jones, when Marion comes back in, isn't that great? Yeah. So it's nice to have a little bit of hope. Yeah. Well, yeah. not crash and burn. Yeah. We don't want to see crash and burn. Yeah. But film noirs, if you're going to crash and burn, what I learned from film noirs, you better damn look good. Yeah. You have to look sexy. And then it's like, yeah, yeah. if you're going to go down, at least take them down with you. Yeah, that's yeah. why I love Out of the Past. Yeah. Uh, with Robert Mitchell, one of my favorite noirs. You got to look good. You got to look good if you're going to be condemned. And if you're going to crash and burn, take her with mm-hmm. you if she's a bad apple. We love that ending to it. Yeah. Yeah. What's What do you, what do you like for an ending? What's kind of a... Again, just uh, know where your story's going and how to get there. And... I'm I'm fine with anything. Again, like any tone, any genre, any style, I'm fine with. Yeah. It's more just again, and I'm not always like I'm fine with an ending that subverts expectations as long as you build that subversion. You know, I'm fine with an ending where you think it's going to be great and then, oh, everything went to hell. Um, that can be fun if you again, you just have to know how to execute it so that when the surprise comes, it's surprising and that it and that it still holds you. Right, yeah. You don't want Ending is it. the most yeah. difficult thing, and that's the most kind of the most important thing. Yeah. I challenge Kyle doesn't really think those, but I think so. How you end it, yeah, is one of the most crucial elements to yeah a movie. Well, one one or of, any kind yeah. of story. An example I can bring of of one that didn't quite work for me. Um, I actually just yesterday watched Altered States for the first time. Oh yeah, the William Hurt. Hurt. Yeah. yeah, and I immediately had to call my dad, and we spent half an hour just talking about Altered States because that came out during the height of his film critic days. Yeah. Um, and I, there's interesting stuff there, but I felt it sacrificed the journey of the concepts for the journey of the relationship, and it made all this this supernatural surreal trip just a metaphor for his struggling relationship right it, which which it's cool to have them counterpoint and play off each other but while they resolved the relationship they didn't resolve the journey of these these trippy concepts so it felt anticlimactic and like it never really went went anywhere love had a, he had right i mm. would have love would conquer the beast king kong right mm-hmm. how what what tampered the beast is beauty yeah, Hulk and Black Widow, for God's sakes, right? Yeah. 
Black Widow can calm him down. If you did that of him, an animal, being comfortable, and then she yeah. really nestled him to come. Right. One thing I love, I love the Peter Jackson King Kong, and one of my favorite bits is in the midst of that chaos in New York where they just have that pause where they're in Central Park, and they're just having fun playing in the snow. Yeah. And she's got him calm, and she's got him calm, and then they swoop in with the guns, you know, and and freak him out again. You have to have a yeah. a good story has to have yeah. some kind of decompression. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the other thing is I like a film that can juggle tones. The problem is there's so many films that feel they need to have a constant tone or yeah. look or feel and it's like I'm fine with a film right that can Jack- go from happy to sad from <laughs> yeah, from <laughs> thrilling. Right to- Zack Snyder, you don't have to have a tone this oh. one single tone throughout the whole thing, right? Right DC New, new 52? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, oh God. Yeah, Zack Snyder. Tone and theme doesn't have to mix. Yeah. Um, especially if you want to write, understand tone and theme doesn't have to mix, and that's tough. Well, but they don't also need to be constant. You can have a film that just bounces tonally. Yeah. Every it's okay to circle around tones, but it's all about how do you transition and how do you flow that into one another. You know, this leads to this, which leads to this, which no, leads to this. No, there's funny bits yeah. in Fight Club, right? Yeah. Fight but Club's that tone, hilarious tone is very dark. Fight Club. I think Eyes yeah. Wide Shut is a hilarious movie. <laughs> yes. Eyes Wide Shut's yeah. a comedy about a guy who who just is who got uh, right when his wife tells yeah. him I was going to I was going to give it all up for this one guy give yeah. me a glance. He yeah. he then, feels sexually frustrated because his wife dreamt about another guy so he goes on a night long journey to try to sleep with someone else but then yeah. realizes yeah these are all kind of messed up people maybe I should just go back home. Right. It's a <laughs> allegorical yeah. of a guy who just yeah. pissed off that his wife all of a sudden, you know, was going to give it up for this one guy. All yeah. he did was give me a glance. And, and I love that the film yeah. was, was advertised as this mystery thriller because of the whole cloaked orgy cult. And what I love is the cloaked orgy cult is right. just ultimately a setup to a punchline of, by the way, you guys all just had sex with a hooker who had AIDS. Yeah. And it's <laughs> yeah. just, that was right. His yeah. descent to I'm, yeah. Right. You had to I, go through this whole crucible right. to appreciate what he had. That was a fun project when I went through all of Kubrick was I, I didn't know what to expect with Eyes Wide Shut. And I'm like, oh, it's Lolita. He's doing the same tone as Lolita again, which Lolita is also a very satirical comedy. It's a very dark comedy, but it's a satirical comedy. Well, his name is what? Herbert Herbert? Yeah. It's Herbert Herbert. Yeah. yeah. Um, Kubrick would be interesting to because I think people yeah. misstate him quite a bit there's a sense of, well yeah. and the thing is Kubrick and Lynch are two directors who I never fully clicked with until I got their sense of humor really because it's like people always argue about like Eraserhead but then I finally watched Eraserhead and I'm like oh it's young adult anxiety that's all it is it's a guy who's just having anxiety about living on his own for the first time having a relationship the kid is born weird what do I do now how do I get medicine how do I get work how do I deal with neighbors and it seems yeah. like he doesn't it seems like the universe yeah. is playing on him. The, it is. the guy up in the yeah. up in the who's like, all of a sudden, I'm going to drop this yeah. on you. And it's yeah. played in a very abstract way, but it's just a deconstruction of early adulthood anxieties. And Blue Velvet is Blue teenage, Vel- te- kind of like teenage romance played on sort of. Yeah. Blue Velvet starts is a parody of Nancy Drew Hardy Boys mysteries, where that young kid with gusto, he's going to go solve the mystery, and then he bursts into the room, and it's a very dark encounter with a woman, and he finds out drug lords are very bad. Right. It and also, <laughs> I also liked about Blue Velvet because yeah. it is a noir. It's a neo noir. Yeah. But it shows you in the beginning of the movie that above the surface, yeah. it's glorious. Look at the flowers. Yeah. But beneath it is these. It's a war zone yeah. of these insects fighting over each yeah. other, and it's a very medical throughout metaphor throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Is above the surface, everything looks yeah. pristine and beautiful. It's literally like what if Nancy Drew stumbled into a noir movie? Yeah. yeah. What, what if Nancy Drew stumbled into a Mickey Spillane novel? I like your novel? point. Yeah. yeah. You know? I, I just like it yeah. that the aesthetic is everything looks beautiful in suburbia, yeah. but if you really put a lens to it, mm-hmm. it is really nasty, just like everything else. Yeah. We just dress it up nicely for you. Do you, do you know what Eraserhead's ultimately about? Well, I thought it was so, his, his anxiety be being a dad, right? It's someone being trapped. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> there we go. Right, yeah. Full yeah. circle, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we go away, is there kind of a movie that's, I don't know, like if you did a film class, were there some movies I'd be surprised to find out you would be required viewing in a theoretical world? Hmm. Other than Roller Boogie. Would you do a class just on ninja movies? You should. No. <laughs> they haven't really nailed it yet. 
Okay. Revenge of the Ninja would maybe be, but that's how you, that's how it's like. Let's take all aspects of a ninja and make a story around them. Hackers, hackers would be because Required again, viewing. It's, yeah, because it's it's how do you build character? How do you build a culture? How do you build the narrative? How do you uh, also work in the music and the era and costume design? Everything coming together. Uh, in terms, you and I should do a '90s film class. You gotta you gotta come to Convergence to do some film panels, man. Okay, I've been on some. They're fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of Joel Schumacher, I would do Car Wash. No shit. Car Wash, oh. which he didn't direct. Michael Schultz directed. Yeah. Um, but Joel wrote the screenplay and it is an incredibly, it's just a day in the life of a car wash. People show up, they do their thing and they leave at the end of the day. And it's a great mix of how to build an ensemble cast of all fully realized characters while also working in tone in terms of it's a comedy, but it's also a drama about, you know, they're here because, you know, they're, they're down, stuck, they're down on their luck. They can't afford to go anywhere else. This one yeah. guy, his relationship is falling apart. You have one guy, this is the first job he could get after being in jail and he's just in, in anxious about you know his future don't and, see the t-words yeah. they're trapped yeah <laughs> they're trapped exactly and yeah. it's it's just, it's a really good ensemble while also being really well shot and edited uh really plays with tonal balances the soundtrack is incredible and it's like every element you can think of came together wonderful I and that, that would be a good one any film where it's like everything just came together they're like uh, uh sayajit ray has a film called hero where it's this struggling actor who's like kind of in the middle of a bunch of tabloid gossip is just taking a train ride to town. And in India, the celebrities ride with the regular people, you know, so it's just kind of him on the train with fans, with reporters, you know, just kind of going through this midlife crisis Perfect. where he feels trapped. There That's the key to the board. Yeah. 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 I love, it. I love I, it. I I probably wouldn't teach a class on the Kevin Bacon Charlie's Theron film Trapped based on the novel 24 Hours by Greg Isles, but but check out Murder in the First. That's Kevin Bacon's best movie. In the first I've yeah, is, I haven't is, seen that is, one yet. His criminal case yeah. it's based on the true story of um the person that uh the his criminal case that he was yeah. in solitary confinement then after he immediately murdered one yeah. of another prisoner and he went to trial and it started the collapse of yeah. Alcatraz. And and a uh, brain scan. Oh my God! Was that? Uh, you no, talking no, about the brainstorm? Brainstorm? Oh, brainstorm? Okay. Brainstorm with uh, Christopher Walken, Natalie Wood. It was yeah. um, early eighties, oh, right? Yeah. What it was, was the last name? movie? Her last movie. Yeah. What was the name of the director who did Silent Running and was the effects guy in two thousand one? A Space Odyssey. I'm blanking on his name. But anyways, incredible movie where it's just based on the simple concept of hey, we've created a device where you can record your thoughts and other people can watch them. And it does an incredible job. And this is where I thought Altered States kind of fell apart was they came up with the technology, but they didn't come up with all the implications of the technology. Brainstorm actually explores where are all the variety of consequences that we can get in terms of marketing, in terms of what happens if you record someone who die as they're dying? What happens if you get addicted to a recording of sex? You know, and, and it deals with all that while also dealing with the, the lives of the people who create this technology, dealing with all the various consequences and potentials. And it's a very sprawling story that ultimately becomes this journey about what does it mean to create something. There we go. Perfect yeah. time to end all everything. Noel, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. I've been excited. We have to do. An, we have to come back. We have to talk about this a little bit more. Absolutely. We want to scratch the surface, just Absolutely. like blue velvet. We want to look underneath the grass. Yes. What's under the ear? Who did that ear belong to? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that was the greatest. And the ed editing was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> just a snippet of the ear. Did yeah. he did he hear it go off? <laughs> did he hear the snip or was it already gone? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, thank you, Noel. And Noel, uh, you can find your podcasts on Podbean. Anywhere yeah. you find them. Podbean's the main source, but it's everywhere. Oh, Amazon, wonderful. Google, iTunes, everywhere. All right. Yeah. So, of course, we have to have a sequel to this. We always have to have a yeah. sequel. Uh, Noel, thanks for coming. And it's not over till the guest says it's over. And. Yeah, we're good. <laughs>